0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to New Books and Irish Studies, the podcast channel in the New Books Network. My name is Aidan Beattie. I'm the host of this channel. Uh, Today we're joined by Dr. Catherine Bateson, Associate Lecturer of American History at the University of Kent, and the author of a new book out now with Louisiana State University Press entitled Irish-American Civil War Songs, Identity, Loyalty, and Nationhood. And unsurprisingly, that's the book we're going to talk about today. Dr. Bateson researches and writes about the role that song played in the American Civil War, the sentiments ballads reveal about conflict experiences, especially for Irish Americans, and the culture of transnational music in mid 19th century America. She has also written about aspects of retreat, enemy encounters, and home front identity as I articulated in American Civil War songs and the role of music and song in the military history more broadly. She has spoken about these aspects to a variety of US museums, podcasts and institutions alongside teaching American history from the colonial period right through to the present day, although she specializes in 18th and 19th century history as well as in social, cultural, indigenous, racial and ethnic, gender and environmental topics. She is also a former lecturer and tutor of American history and American studies at Edinburgh, Durham, Sussex, Gloucestershire and Wolverhampton Universities. The co-founder of the wonderfully named The War Through Other Stuff Society and former chair of the Scottish Association for the Study of America. Dr. Bateson is currently also associate editor of the Irish and American Civil War website project. Dr. Bateson, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you very much for having me on.
0: Um, Well, I wonder if I could start with um, a kind of a general question, just to kind of set the context for what we're going to talk about. I'd like to start by asking, asking you to outline, basically, what is the Irish history of the American Civil War? What role did Irish people play in the war? What did they think of the war? How does the Irish community in the United States break along Confederacy and Union lines?
1: Yeah, so the American Civil War, when it breaks out in 1861, comes uh, sort of 15, 20 years after the main uh, mass migration that you see through the mid-1840s and into the 1850s coming from the Great Famine, coming from Ireland. That's not to say that there were not Irish migrants in in America before. There were a considerable number, but it it comes at this quite at the end of a quite turbulent time uh for ireland and for the for the movement of the diaspora across to america and they have mostly settled in the um, urban enclaves uh, on the eastern states so new york boston philadelphia being very famous the population in chicago is growing at this point there's also quite a sizable population in various southern states but particularly uh, in places Uh, In Georgia and also um, in New New Orleans, particularly in in kind of port cities and places like that. And the history of the Irish in the American Civil War for quite a long time has been, uh, as as one historian puts it, has basically been forgotten. Which is that we know that the Irish definitely in America at the time of the Civil War, but their contribution and the scale of their contribution um, has been forgotten in large parts on both sides of the Atlantic. Um, and that actually we should re- kind of re- really reconsider their history. Partly, I think it's also because when you think popularly of the American Civil War and the Irish, you immediately jump to, in popular culture, gangs of New York and the New York draft rights in July of 1863, and that somehow those 13 days speak to the entire four-year period of being very anti-war, anti-the Lincoln administration, uh, anti-emancipation, and so on and so forth. But actually, there is a much bigger and more nuanced history as to what's going on, and it reflects... As what I sort of do in the, in the book too about how uh the diaspora is adapting and and assimilating in many circumstances and also kind of just developing as the rest of the nation is development developing in this very turbulent time in the middle of the 19th century and they're not all draft rioting and they're you know they're not all the stereotypical figures that you'd imagine um that we have have popularly thought certainly in popular culture thought about.
0: Mm-hmm. So maybe if I could ask you about that thing of adapting and assimilating as you move to the United States, um, what actually is happening to Irish musical culture when Irish people arrive in these large numbers? Is it just a, a simple importation of Irish music or does it become something new and different?
1: Well, when they turn up in the 1840s and 50s, they'll realise that actually, by that point, most of American music has already become Irish or vice versa. So I musical tunes uh, from from 1700s, 1800, early 1800s Ireland are um, throughout American musical culture by that point. They have... Um, being adopted through uh, the fact that lots of songbooks, particularly famously Thomas More's Irish Melodies, which every traditional Irish tune, almost, almost everyone, uh, has a route back to, um, that had been circulating since the early 1800s. Uh, there are some older tunes that had adopted. And what, what happens is that these tunes are being sung and set to new lyrics in America, what are known as contrafacta. So you, you're you using the same tune, but you're setting new lyrics to it, which is for musical culture the easiest way to learn a song it's it's the habit we've lost partly because of copyright now but also because we just don't consume music in the same way that you did in the 19th century so they would have known very familiar tunes and the sounds and that kind of oral culture would have been quite familiar they also would have known um much older 17th century scottish tunes that were similarly going around pretty much anything written by robert burns uh has was was co-opted by america well well by the 19th century so um there what they well, effectively it shows is that American culture itself almost since its actual early republic days or its kind of initial founding uh in the seven 17- from the 1790s onwards had been consuming and adopting and co-opting and also assimilating different groups and cultures. For its own culture, effectively. So there's not very much original made in America, American culture in the 19th century. It's coming from other things. I often use the easiest example to show this is the Tune of the Star Spangled Banner, which is actually, actually an English drinking glee club <laughs> um, And it's it weirdly comes, it was written in 1790. So it actually is the tune is younger than the country, um, but it's an English tune um, originally. So They'd have been very familiar with that. And also, um, we know that in the 1840s and 1850s, they are met, particularly Irish Catholic migrants, are met with waves of anti-native... anti-Irish very nativist uh, hostility um, along with with Catholic Germans who are getting the same thing but by the 1860s um, some scholars have noted that that is slightly declining as the nation turns its attention to the war so the Irish are able to uh, kind of adapt and kind of play off the back of that um, as well and kind of pushing nativism slightly to the side although they do they do definitely talk about it in the 1860s but um, the, the, the country is changing and they're they're changing with it
0: so, so as Irish people then enter the war and they start writing songs about the war, are they writing songs that are kind of uniquely Irish or is this just part of a broader civil war musical culture?
1: Yeah, so not to give the main uh, argument spoiler of the book away too much, because everyone should go by it, Um, but uh, they are mostly writing about how loyal they are to America, Um, the vast number of Irish uh, who serve in the war fight for the Union, Um, and that's reflective of the fact that there are just more Irish uh, firstborn and then second, third, fourth generation subsequent descended born in america to irish parents grandparents so on and so forth they're mostly living in the northern states of the union and um there are it's estimated about hundred and eighty thousand uh are first born irish fighting in in certainly uh in the army and in the navy as well although those figures are going up higher and higher and higher so it doesn't uh it doesn't certainly surprise me that they're singing massively about being um very pro-American union they buy into lincoln's message about we need to keep the country together we cannot allow secession of the confederacy we've got to restore the union um and so they their songs are littered with references to yeah the star-spangled banner to the flag to you know fighting for America to go and bring back the South and return it um, under the banner uh, of the nation. There are about, by equivalent, to kind of show you the scale of this, about 20,000 Irish-born who fight in the Confederacy, and then obviously subsequent descended generation ones, but they the numbers are smaller. It's not to say not important, but um, it again reflects why so much messaging is coming out about very, very pro-America uh, mm-hmm. and anti-secession uh, sentiment.
0: So I might come back to this question later of Irish people in the in the Confederate Army, but but the ones that are in the Union Army, then that are writing songs, are they just sort of simply patriotic, or is there more going on? Like, are there ever like Irish abolitionist songs?
1: Yeah, there are not many of those. <laughs> so, so some of the some of the uh, stereotypes is too strong a word, but some of the conceptions that um you might have about uh sentiments of the Irish in the 19th century towards abolition and, and emancipation are definitely there. There are a couple of songs um where there are lyrics that have the the label criticism at the northern abolitionists is one that it, it talks about how the northern abolitionists are, are just as to blame. As the South for, for basically breaking peace uh, and for turning and and but it's a very quick passing reference. It's not a we don't like them. It's more just you know get off your high horse. You're 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 involved in this too, um, but the they certainly keep certain sentiments out that we know they're definitely talking about and occasionally rioting about and talking and kind of alluding to in in their newspapers uh, about their kind of concerns about emancipation in some areas. There are also, though, um, songs, certainly in the immediate aftermath of the draft riots in in New York City in uh, 1863, where uh, song is used, A, to send a message to the rest of the American North that the Irish are still loyal and that they they want to fight and they, they're going to continue to volunteer and just not forget what happened in New York, but that doesn't speak for the whole diaspora. And then there are also other songs. There's one well, yeah. song called um, called Paddy the Loyal, who which uh, very much talks about how um, the Irish draft the Irish rioters are disrespectful. And that they need to stop rioting because it's giving a the diaspora a bad name, but also it's giving too much fuel to the Confederacy of kind of showing that there's discord and that they need to show this loyalty. And uh, they don't tie it to then okay be abolitionist. It's a quite it's a much more um, slightly pragmatic view of that this is now the cause of the of the war. We know it's the cause of the war anyway, but you know, if this if emancipation is going ahead, just just show the fact that you can still fight and we'll kind of deal with the aftermath later.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so when Irish will then join the confederate army is it a similar motivation of sort of proving their local loyalties or what motivates Irish people to, to join the confederate army
1: a lot a lot of their motivation and certainly David Gleeson's written amazingly uh, much better about this than I have um, a lot of it comes down to that idea of where identity is in the south um, in the same way so actually they're fighting much more for that local the state I don't want to say state's rights it's not quite what they're fighting for but they're right they're sort of fighting for that kind of honor um and for the wider mission of Confederate secession whether they're directly tying that to the fact it's about slavery is another. Is not necessarily in songs um, sung so much, but the Confederate Irish don't sing that much. By comparison, they don't. There are not as many um, songs about the Irish in the Confederacy as there are about the Irish in the Union, and that actually speaks more to the way in which Confederate songwriting is is different. They're much more about projecting messages of. Confederate nationalism and and this is the this is the nation that we are going to build and fight for uh effectively. Um, but there is one Confederate song, it's called Song for the Irish Brigade, which does uh criticize uh what it calls Lincoln Snakes and the Irish who are fighting in the north, and in fact, everybody in the Union for for um for the way in which they're trying to hold the South back from their self determination, so there is a little bit of early, something early on in the war, kind of buying into that earlier message, but then they just they they because there's no one thing to hold hook themselves around, and and the Irish in the Northern states have. The Union has the Irish Brigade, which is made up of five regiments, three from New York, one from Pennsylvania, one from Massachusetts. It becomes a cultural thing in and of itself. It's got famous all Irish brigades. There are all Irish brigades and units in the Confederacy, but no official Irish brigade. So that also affects the way in which they sing because they're kind of adopting more Confederate stuff because they're just able to because they're sort of Mm -hmm. assimilating in and around the army.
0: So, so both sides really are kind of doing things that kind of mirror each other, it seems, of like claiming a sense of local loyalty or, or like American patriotism. So how much does does Irish nationalist sentiment still bubble under the surface there or how do they reconcile yeah. the two?
1: Yeah, so uh, it's definitely um, bubbling up in the, in, the, in the northern states and there are. Uh, Beyond the world of Song, there are definite accounts where um, Athenian circles are cropping up inside of units and regiments and that they kind of have their own little chapter meetings um, that are reporting back to the front line. There's uh, lots of kind of thought that this is all done as an exercise of potential training, like this is a, you know, we'll we'll go fight in the war, we'll get some training and then we might be able to then ourselves go back uh, to fight for Ireland's uh, independence. Irish nationalist. There are there's there's two two strands of this, and one of the whole uh, chapters of the book talks about this in more detail. That there are specific um, Fenian both songs and then actual songsters, the song books uh, that are written um, with much more overtly uh, nationalist um, arguments and lots of traditional uh, ethnic Irish heritage songs as well. And some, there is even one of them that's actually written in both Irish and uh, and in English. It's got dual translation pages, um, which is quite quite interesting for the 1860s. But um, other than the ones that are very much obviously dedicated and labelled to Fenian circles or written... um, by, by known Fenians, there are um, pockets and elements occasionally of nationalist sentiment in some of the songs, other songs that are written, but they're much more... Well, I describe it in the book about how there's a difference between active support and sympathy in that they're much more kind of sympathetic to the idea of nationalism and maybe one day in the future, but a future that's not very clear exactly where it is. So maybe it's this generation, maybe it's the next generation, maybe it's another generation in fifty years' time or so, um that 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 maybe we'll go and fight. But almost always in those circumstances, it's couched with the fact that America will come to Ireland's aid and that actually America will do most of the fighting or they'll go back as Americans to Mm -hmm. free Ireland. And um, again, this is another spoiler for the book, but what I I point out is that that actually is, again, reflective of the way in which identity and assimilation is happening, that actually even the nationalism is taking on a more American identity and that the way they're kind of, you know whether they're talking about themselves as being Irish or American or Irish American, effectively by this point, uh, is, is changing. So, um, yeah, the, the the it's not there in all the songs, certainly. And that's that's partly also because lots and lots of actually most of these songs are going to beyond just the diaspora, they're written for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but even where they are written for everybody, it's more sympathetic, but a, a sort of it's a hope, it's a wistful hope rather than anything concrete. And sure,
0: um, sure. So, so is that that one song that was bilingual? Is that one of the few examples of that? Since they are effectively writing for an, an English readership.
1: Yeah, that songster. That it's a whole book actually. It's a whole collection of songs. Um, from what I've seen, it seems to be uh, not almost unique, but certainly it's it's a rare it's a rarity to see songsters like that um, that's actually translated at the time, as opposed to being translated. You know. 20 30 years later and republished effectively as as bilingual but um no most of the time then they're not and there are a few um people right now who are kind of studying about the state of the irish language in in 1860s and 1870s america before there's kind of a revival as part of a bigger revival um come the 1880s and 1890s but they're what you do see, though, is um, odd pockets and references of the Irish language in their English written songs. So their anglicised phrases crop up um, that occasionally filter in, which means that, again, about stepping off the boat and what they'd be familiar with, those phrases are circulating, and certainly those most associated with kind of military culture and, and a longer history of foreign military service that the Irish have. But those, those uh, um, phrases are not only circulating between generations of migrants, but also it's, it's seeped into the way the Irish are written about and sung about. And certainly um, lots of the songs then end up on kind of stage performances in certainly New York and Boston. And so the fact that there's an American audience familiar with certain phrases, mm-hmm. um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way of that culture starting to seep through into having more of a popular uh, effect.
0: That's, that's really fascinating so so where does all this go then after the civil war like is there a is there a reconstruction history of irish music or, or a jim crow history or anything like that
1: yeah good good question because I, I i definitely skip that <laughs> the book ends kind of 86 and then it, it talks a little bit about uh the first War, which I'll, I'll come on to but actually a lot of these songs um they disappear into the archives. They, they're they very, uh, there are about 11,000 songs written in general about this in the, in the Civil War period of which my book kind of looks at kind of a hundred or 150 or so Irish ones. Um, and lots and lots of those are either completely lost in that we have no archival record of them or because song sheets are ephemeral you're not you're not really once you've learned songs you don't necessarily need to keep the lyrics you know if you think about all the songs that we know we're very rarely reading the lyrics as we we sing them on the radio and they're playing on the radio so uh what survives is also about archival survival as well but lots of the themes and sentiments and the, speci- the specificity of some of the songs about particular battles they just disappear into the archive and they might occasionally get sung about and certainly um, there are Irish uh, Irish soldiers who go on to stay in certainly the Union, what becomes the U.S. Army, and they, there's a whole history relating to them uh, in the 1870s and 1880s out in in the West and what they get up to in the Indian American Indian Wars, and um, yeah, I think the less that they want to remember that one, the better. But that's a whole that's a whole complicated history uh, there um and but the rest of them kind of disappear the tunes remain the tunes kind of carry on going and actually some of the songs are written to american tunes so they keep on going uh as well um and then yeah by uh by the 1880s what you start to see is that stage hall has gone into full vaudeville by the 1880s 1890s and it's become a much bigger thing than it ever was and much more kind of um open to more middle class audiences as well as, as the working class urban audiences and character tropes in the kind of stage hall music hall vaudeville figure of I- the irish on the stage and the you know, the kind of racial and xenophobic undertones that that all has they kind of cement much more what becomes timpan alley songs so um quite generic about the irish experience and you know or you know they go back to the sort of traditional roots of you know i'm I'm a jilted lover, or I'm a happy lover, or I'm an immigrant looking for work, or yeah, they're, they're very, that stereotypical image foundation, which were always there anyway, but they just sort of, that's the thing. And the war part of it disappears. It does slightly reappear, though, in, in the conclusion of the book, talks about a few examples in the First World War in 1917, 1918. Uh, the Irish, well, there are songs produced, and uh, they sort of Timpan Alley songs produced about, um, the kind of coming of the war and joining up and serving and how the Irish Americans will do this again, like they did in the 1860s. Um, and they kind of recall some elements of civil war service. Um, but then after that, again, it's they float away back into the archives.
0: Mm-hmm. It does seem like that you can almost see like different histories are her all playing out through music in terms of um, obviously military history, but a, a kind of economic cultural history and, and how like, the commodification of music changes and and maybe even the, the way in which the civil war is kind of remembered and misremembered and and sort of forgotten in some ways That uh, is all kind of playing out to this um it's, it's a really fascinating book um as you yourself pointed out early on everyone should go out and buy it um thanks so much for joining us and having this great conversation
1: yeah that's all right thank you very much thank you